There is a famous story of Greek mythology that perhaps some has some grains of truth, though we don't know how historical truly it is. It's the story of the Trojan horse. Now, how many people here have heard of a Trojan horse? You probably have many hands would go up a Trojan horse. If you haven't, of course, no worries. It's, an, it's a famous story about a battle tactic. And what happened was the Greeks, as this story goes, were assaulting a city called Troy. It was an ancient city in the old world, and in the people of Troy were called Trojans. If you're a fan of the University of Southern California in football, that Trojans are the people from the city of Troy. And the people of Greece, the Greeks, um, uh, put a, a, uh, an attack on that city, and they were seeking to starve it. And ultimately, it was, appeared to be on the brink of failure. And the Greeks built this large, beautiful horse, this wooden horse, just massive, big, statuesque horse. And in it was a compartment for a handful, probably 30, 40, 50 or so, of Greeks' best warriors, Greece's best warriors, and they hid in that Trojan horse, and, and then they deserted. The army deserted, and apparently they left an inscription on that horse that was, this was a sacrifice to their, to their God. And they left someone behind who was abandoned. And this was to be a trap. They gave it to the Trojans as a symbol of, we're done, we wave the white flag, we can, you win, we lose, we're leaving. And this is a, a, a symbol, a, a gift, if you will, to our God acknowledging our failure and the army dispersed. Well, of course, the Trojans entered their city gates and into those gates came the Trojan horse. And by night, those Greek, that Greek army doubled back and came back to the walls of the city. And those that were inside, hidden in the Trojan horse, came out by night and opened the gates. And the Greeks won a terrific victory by means of a Trojan horse. The enemy on the outside was not nearly as dangerous as the enemy on the inside. Now, why do I start with this ancient myth, thank you, Ben, of, of the Trojan horse? It's because today Jesus is dealing with a question that human religion has been trying to solve since time immemorial. And the question that human religion tries to answer is this, what defiles a human being? I don't mean what defiles someone in terms of what makes them physically dirty. That's an easy enough question. Just have a couple two-year-olds and send them out in a rainstorm and you'll find what defiles them very quickly. What I mean is what defiles a person spiritually. What makes a person dirty morally? And do you know that if you just were to go across the world religions and you were to categorize all of them, and you were to ask them, what makes a person dirty? What defiles a person? You'd get all number of different answers. 
This is not just a human religious problem. It's actually a secular question. If you were to go today to just the average secular psychologist, you were to go to a sociologist, and you were to ask them the question, why do people do such evil things? Why do people do such terrible things? Why is there such awful behavior all over our world? Just look at the newspaper this morning, and you'll see the evil things that people are doing. Do you know, they'll give you some variation on this, and, and actually I heard this, um, the, these three examples from Alistair Begin, who was, I can't improve on it, it's so good I'm just going to borrow it with attribution. The first thing is this, environment. People will say, the reason that person did such a bad thing right there is because the environment in which they were raised, the environment that they're surrounded in by now, that's the problem. It's the problem of their surroundings. The second thing that you'll hear is education. They weren't taught right. They didn't have enough nurture and love in their home and they didn't have this outward influence coming on them of instruction wasn't there and that's why they did such evil. The third thing, example. They didn't have the right examples. They didn't have the right people to look up to in their life and the right mentors and the right people to support them and encourage them in their path. Now I want to say very clearly, all three of those have grains of biblical truth in them. We shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There is truth in each one of those things. Those three things do affect how we behave. But do you know what human secularists today would not say? They would not identify? Why do people do evil, wicked things, including us? They wouldn't go where Jesus went, which is to say, the main problem is not the enemy outside. The main problem is the enemy inside. Why do people do bad things? Because their heart is bad. That is the central answer that the Bible provides to why we see evil in our world today and evil in our own human actions. It's not first our environment. It's not first our education. It's not first our example, though all of those things have an effect on us. The first and foundational reason why we do bad things, why we are defiled, is because our hearts give us all the evil we need. You see, what Jesus is going to teach us is one of his most revolutionary ideas in the scheme of all of human religion and all of human secular philosophy. He's going to say the problem is within you, not outside of you. The title of the message this morning is simply The True Source of Defilement. The True Source of of defilement, of moral evil. And if you're into subtitles, you can say this, beware the Trojan heart. Not the Trojan horse. Beware the Trojan heart. Three things that we're going to look at from Mark chapter 7 today that I think will bring this truth that Jesus is giving to us in sharper focus. The first thing is a contradiction a contradiction that Jesus is just going to smash home for these Pharisees. Now, you remember our motto here at Straight Gate. We always interpret the Bible in context. We don't pluck things out of context, take one verse and say, 
great, I can apply it. No, we always go and ask, what is Jesus trying to say here? What is the inspired writer intending to communicate? And then, and only then, are we in a position to apply it to ourselves. So what's the context? Well, if you've been here for the last several Sundays, you've known that we've been talking about tradition. Because Mark 7 starts with Tradition. And if you were to ask a Pharisee, how is a person defiled morally? The answer to which they would turn was not ultimately to the word of God. They would turn to tradition. And we've seen for the last two weeks that Jesus is sending the clear message to these Pharisees, your tradition does not accurately tell where defilement comes from. It's not to be defined by human religious tradition. You Pharisees are the type of people, you look religious, you seem to be, have a heart that wants to follow God, but you're an actor. You are a true hypocrite. You say one thing, but intentionally you are doing the opposite. You've been well trained in this. A hypocrite is not someone who falls short of his standard. That's every single one of us. A hypocrite is one who says one thing while intentionally and deliberately he is doing another. He is a play actor. He is nothing more than putting on a show. And Jesus says, you Pharisees, that's exactly right, because your heart, you draw near to me, close to me with your mouth, but your heart is a million miles away. Your heart is far from me. And so Jesus has just torn the mask off. He's exposed how their religious tradition is not just going up to the same level of the word of God, but is actually being used to make the God's word, his holy, powerful word, of no effect. They are invalidating God's word by their own tradition. And last week, we looked at the ways even our own traditions can contradict, can push against, can come into tension with the teaching of God's word. Well, now we get to verse 14. And will you look with me? And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, hearken unto me, every one of you. Listen up and understand. Not just listen with your ears, but listen and understand with your heart. He said, there is nothing from without or outside a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man morally. He's not talking about a physical defilement. He's talking about spiritual dirtiness. And then he says, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Listen up. Listen to what I'm saying. Now you've got to realize how utterly revolutionary this is what Jesus was saying. In fact, if you notice the disciples, verse 17, when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. They didn't get it. This was mind-blowing. Now, we've seen Jesus do a lot of mind-blowing things, and you may not immediately identify this as one of the most controversial things he ever said. Why? Because he was contradicting something. Do you know what the Pharisees believed their entire life? If you would have said, Pharisees, how are you defiled? Look at how they acted. The picture is this. Have you ever been walking down the street and maybe there's a a puddle that's not 
far away from where you're walking and a car comes by and goes through the puddle and just splashes you with mud? You say, hey, come on, what are you doing? Do you know the Pharisees walked through life as if everyone around them was the source of a mud puddle that might splatter on them? They walked through life as if they were pure and they were clean because we're following all the rules and we're doing what God wants us to and we know the words to say and the clothes to wear and we look so good. And as they went through life, they were always worried, "Uh uh-oh, here's another mud puddle. Let Let me walk around this one. I don't want to get splattered. Haven't we seen this already so far, even in the book of Mark? Do you remember what one of Jesus' first controversies with them was? Jesus, why do you go in and eat food with publicans and sinners, tax collectors, cheats, and open sinners? Why couldn't they get that? Because they didn't want to get splattered. If I go hang out with people who are open sinners, their sin is going to rub off on me. From the outside, I am going to get splattered. So I stay away from them. Jesus, how dare you go eat with them? Do you remember what else Jesus did that was so, would have been so amazing and controversial to them? When there was a man who was a leper and he needed to be healed and Jesus went and put, put out his hand and touched him? Jesus, we don't touch lepers. Why? Because you might get defiled. You're going to get morally dirty, Jesus. I, I, this was their view. Do you remember the woman who we saw who had a a flow of blood, a menstrual disorder for many years, and she came to Jesus and she touched him to a Pharisee that would have been one of the most scandalous acts because that woman was unclean. She was defiled, and now she has passed her defilement on to Jesus. You see, the Pharisee philosophy was you are defiled by what splatters on you from the outside. And remember this whole dispute. What was all of this about? Washing your hands before you ate? Was it because they wanted to get germs off and make sure there was no dirt coming in? No. It was about moral defilement. Who knows where that food had come from? Who knows who you had brushed into on your way home from the market or from the synagogue? Who knows whether you had accidentally rubbed shoulders with someone who was unclean? And now you are unclean. And so before I eat, I need ritually and ceremonially to wash my hands of any moral defile. That was their philosophy. And it came even to the place of food. Now, Leviticus chapter 7, you can go study it on your own. The Old Testament gave very specific dietary regulations. The Jewish people keep these regulations to this day in, in food that is kosher. We see the, the Muslims around us. Islam teaches its own form of certain kinds of preparation of food that can be eaten and that can't be eaten. And so this idea of food entering in that would defile you was at the very heart, indeed, of what these Pharisees were teaching. So when Jesus stands up in front of all the people and says, there is nothing from outside you that can enter in and defile you, they would have absolutely lost their minds. That is crazy talk. That is our religion. That is what we teach. What is God's perspective? The Pharisee perspective was, I don't want to get splattered by any mud that someone else might throw on me. Do you know what God's perspective is? You're the mud pit. Don't walk through life 
looking and saying, well, who's going to splatter on my nice, clean little outside? God says, you've got the mud pit inside you, and you're liable to splatter yourself and others every single day. Who are you talking about? Listen to what he says. There is nothing from without or outside a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. I get splattered by my own mud puddle, not someone else's. Now the disciples ask him about this, and their perspective is, we don't get it. Notice in verse 18, he saith unto them, are ye so without understanding also? Are you just as blind in a, in a moral sense as the people that are, I was just talking to? Are you so confused? Look at, are you without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man? It cannot defile him. So first of all, we see here a contradiction. The Pharisees were dead wrong on this. Jesus was going to correct them. Secondly, there's a clarity. A clarity. What clarity does Jesus bring to our understanding? Well, let's start diving into verse 18. He saith unto them, notice what he says, that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it can't defile him. Because, notice verse 19, look at his explanation. Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draft, purging all meats. Let, let's just try to understand this very quickly. Jesus is talking about two systems that every human being has. Now, the human being has more than two systems. A doctor would tell you you have many forms of systems in your body. But Jesus is just talking about two here. One, he's talking about your human digestive system. Now, all of us have a digestive system. Food goes into our mouth. It goes down into our stomach. And it is digested, and then it is expelled. Now, that just is utterly true. That's just part of the human experience. And what Jesus is saying here is, you are focused on the human digestive system. It goes into the belly, and it ultimately is expelled. Now, that word draft, it looks like draught, but in the English pronunciation, it's draft. It literally means the latrine. It literally is the idea of the outhouse. He's saying it's just simply it's expelled from your body. That's the natural process. And he's talking then about a human digestive system, and he's talking about a heart defilement system. There's a human digestive system, and there's a heart defilement system. And he says food, when it goes into your body, it stays in the human digestive system. It doesn't go into the heart defilement system. When food comes into you, it doesn't touch your heart. It doesn't touch your soul. It doesn't touch the part of you that becomes morally defiled. It just goes right out through your body, and it's expelled, and that's it. But he says, ah, but notice verse 20. That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. He's not talking about your human digestive system. That's defiling in a different way. But what comes out of you, your heart, the, your, heart, um, your heart system of defilement, notice what he says. That defiles the man. 
For from within, verse 21, for from the inside, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, and we'll go through this list in just a minute. It's a defilement system. Now, what is Jesus making clear here? Jesus is making at least a couple things clear. One thing he is making clear, I think, has to do with what we eat. With what we eat. You remember the Pharisee system. Don't eat that. Don't eat that. Don't eat that. Don't eat that. Do you notice, I just want to pull your attention to a little phrase here in verse 19. It says, this food goes into his belly and goeth out into the draft, into the latrine, purging all meats. Now, commentators believe today those words, purging all meats, are not actually Jesus' words. They are a a parenthesis that Mark is inserting. And do you know what he's saying? He's saying that Jesus was making all foods clean. That's the idea here. Jesus is making all foods clean. And do you know, it's very interesting, of course, who do we believe was Mark's source for this gospel? Which human Apostle. Peter. Peter was the one in Acts chapter 10. Do you remember that story of that vision that Peter received of a sheet coming down from heaven and having all manner of of wild animals in there and creeping, crawling things and everything? And God said to him, Peter, rise up and and eat that. And Peter said, no, I I can't do that. I'm following the the dietary laws. I, I, I can't do that. And God says, what I have cleaned, what I have cleansed, you don't call unclean. What I have cleansed, you don't call unclean. Now, Jesus is making clear here. God made clear to Peter in Acts chapter 10. And Paul makes clear to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that there is no longer any dietary law for the Christian on what can be eaten and can't be eaten. I just want to be very clear about that as a moral principle. There is no food that entering into you will spiritually or morally defile you. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. It it does not need to be refused. If it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified. Set apart as holy by the word of God and prayer. Every animal, every creature is sanctified when it's received with thanksgiving. Now, I just want to say this again very clearly. This does not mean that you have to eat every kind of animal. There are some people who don't eat certain foods for health reasons. There are people who don't eat certain foods just because they don't like it. And there are people who eat, don't eat foods for cultural reasons. They, my people don't eat that kind of thing. That's fine. Jesus isn't saying you have to eat things as long as it's clear that this. Food does not defile you. Food entering into you does not morally or spiritually defile you. What is defiling to you is not your human digestive system. It's your heart defilement system. So let's just embrace the clear teaching of the word of God. It is not food entering into you that defiles you. It is what is the product of your heart. Now, there's a second thing that we need to make sure we have clarity here. What is it about the heart that means we can be defiled? 
Well, this goes back to the very clear teaching of Scripture throughout the Old Testament that the Pharisees should have known. They should have seen. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 6. Before God sent the flood to wipe out the human population in judgment, do you know how God described the evil that he was seeing in the world? Listen to Genesis 6 and verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God says, I don't just see the actions that they are performing. I see their hearts. And we go back to what God told Samuel when he was trying to select the next king of Israel and looking at all of Jesse's sons going down to the very last one. And God says, did Samuel, Samuel, I didn't choose him because man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart, the heart. You know, one of the wisest words that has ever been said in Scripture and is so true comes from Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs 23 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And in that context, it's speaking of someone who is inviting you over to dinner and saying, eat, 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 eat. And inwardly, his heart is feeling begrudging. His heart is feeling angry to you. And what God is telling you is, it's not what he says about who, that that's who he is. It's what he thinks. And do you know the same principle applies to every single one of us? Friends, who are you? You are what you think. You are what you think about. You are not what you can feign on the outside, the right words to speak. You are who you are in your heart. And God sees it, even if it's none of us can. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Do you remember what Jesus' indictment against the Pharisees was? These actors, these people who knew how to look so good on the inside. He said, you're just like whitewashed tombs. You're just like a tomb that contains dead men's bones on the inside, but it's painted really nice and white on the outside. It looks so clean. It looks so good. But inwardly, it's full of dead men's bones. And here God is simply making the same point. He's saying, where does your defilement come from? It doesn't come from the enemy outside. It comes from the Trojan heart within you. That's the mud pit with all the defilement you will ever need. Friends, notice the clarity here. There's a human digestive system and there's a heart defilement system. And make sure we know which one of those two things defiles us morally and spiritually. First of all, there's a contradiction. Secondly, there's the clarity that Jesus is going to bring in verse 18 and 19. And then thirdly, and finally, we need to look at the corruption. We're going to look at this, friends. We're going to look at this, and I hope we're going to embrace it this morning because Jesus wants to make a very clear point, not just about the Pharisees, but about you. He wants to make a really clear point about me, too. It was humbling to look at this list and raise my hand and say, yeah, that's me. That's me. You say, what do you mean? Well, let's look at this list, shall we? Look at verse 21. He says, for from within, on the inside of us, out of the heart of men, 
proceed evil thoughts. Isn't it interesting that Jesus' list of these wicked sins that come from the inside starts with thoughts? Why? Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Where does the list start? With what you're thinking about. With what you allow to embrace within you. Now I'm glad for what my father taught coming from people before him. He said, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head. And friends, you don't need to feel guilty about every stray thought that enters into your mind. That's not sin. That's a temptation to sin when a thought unprovoked flits through your mind. But do you know what you can stop? You can stop that bird from nesting in your hair. You can't stop him flying overhead, but you can stop him from nesting inside, in, in, in your hair. And in the same way, the evil thoughts that Jesus is talking about here is not just a kind of, oops, that was a stray thought. Where did that come from? I'm horrified. No, that's just a temptation. Don't let the thoughts come in and grab hold of you and intentionally begin thinking about them. It's that simple. Evil thoughts, where do they come from? From outside? No, they come from inside. That's where they come from. Notice what else he says. Not just evil thoughts, but adulteries. Where do adulteries come from? I was so tempted. There were such un amazing circumstances that came together and we started working together and we developed an attraction for each other and, and I'm just a product of, of my difficult circumstances. No, you're not. Where do adulteries come from? Your heart. Your heart. That's where they come from. What else does he say? Your fornications. Your fornications. What is this? It's just sexual immorality. Sexual immorality of any kind. In fact, this word comes from the word from which we get, would get pornography. First, a sexual, sexual gratification outside God's channel of human marriage between a man and a woman. God says, where do your fornications come from? Your sexual fantasizing, your sexual actions, whatever it is of any kind, where do they come from? From someone outside of you? Wow, she just wasn't dressed the right way. That's her fault. I stumbled and fell in that way. No. What's the problem? Your heart. My heart. That's the problem. Fornications. You see, you remember what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, if you look on a woman to lust after her, to crave her, to desire her in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her, even though you haven't done the physical act. Why? Because God knows what your heart is. As you think in your heart, so are you. And if your heart is filled with the lustful fantasy, it doesn't matter whether you're committing the act or not. You are in God's eyes. Where does that come from? It comes from the heart. It comes from my own mud pit. Notice what else he says. Murders. Where do murders come from? Well, I was provoked. Someone made me so mad. Where do they come from? Your heart. That's where the seeds of it are. In the anger and hatred that we allow to gr grab hold of our heart. Notice what else he says. He says thefts. Stealing. Where does stealing come from? Many people around us today would answer, stealing comes from poverty. Stealing comes from difficult life circumstances. And it's true in, in a certain sense. It is true. But that's not the main reason. Where does stealing come from? My heart. That's where it comes from. What else does he say? Covetousness. The grasping of things that aren't mine. The desire to lay hold on things and make them mine. That comes from the heart. He also says wickedness. This just refers to a moral meanness. 
the moral nastiness, a moral depravity of people who have just gone almost to an animal level of living. Where does that come from? The heart. Notice what else? Deceit. This word just simply means a trap, like bait, like the Trojan horse. A trick we play on people. Where do those tricks, defrauding people of their money, stealing from people, where does that come from? It comes from our heart. He says lasciviousness. This means literally just an utterly uncontrolled way of life. It has the most direct reference to, to sensual and sexual things. Someone who is just given over to a kind of lustful view of life. Where does that come from? Not from without. It comes from within. Notice what else he says. An evil eye. What is an evil eye? You know, actually in pagan times and in pagan cultures, did you, have you ever noticed that when someone was executed, they'd put a bag over his head? Do you know why they'd put a bag over his head? Because they believed that if you were the last person someone looked at before they were executed, you were cursed. They would give you the evil eye. And so they'd put a bag over your head to make sure ooh, no one was cursed. That's superstitious nonsense. The Bible doesn't teach that. But it does talk about an evil eye. You know what an evil eye is? The picture here is of envy. Someone gets a promotion at work that you think was yours, and inwardly and outwardly you're clapping and smiling, and inwardly you're saying, I resent you. Or the other side of it, that something evil happens to someone you don't like, and outwardly you're saying, wow, what a tragedy, that's so sad, and inwardly you're saying, yeah, yeah, God got him. It's an evil eye. It's an evil eye. Where does it come from? From your externals? No, it comes from your heart. Notice what else? We're almost done here. He says blasphemy. That's the idea of, of slanders, of tearing people's reputations down, of gossiping about people on things that are, are false about them and injuring their reputation. The idea of pride, the inward way in which we puff ourselves up and look down on other people. And then he closes the list with foolishness. This word foolishness literally means no thinking. The idea of someone who just doesn't understand. He's utterly given to foolishness. Isn't it interesting that Jesus' list starts with evil thoughts and ends with no thoughts? Thoughtless, foolish behavior. Why? Because as you think in your heart, so are you. God knows that ultimately you are going to be defined by your, by your thinking. It's been said, so a thought and you get an action. So an action and you get a habit. So a habit and you get a character. So a character and you get a destiny. It starts with a thought. It starts with what you are going to be allowing to bring in front of you. Friends, this is a catalog of terrific and terrible and awful evils. Every single seed of evil we could probably find in this list somewhere. And that's where ultimately what is so challenging and convicting about this, friends, is he's cataloging your heart and mine. Don't think for a minute that Jesus is looking out at all the, the open sinners around us and saying, well, this is the catalog of their hearts, but it's not yours. No, friend, he's saying this. He's talking about every man. He's talking about the human person. And he's saying the seeds of all of these evils are in you and me. No one needs to teach me to murder. No one needs to teach me to commit sexual sin. No one needs to teach me to be proud. It is the mud pit inside me that will do it. You say, well, I'm telling you I could never murder someone. Yes, you could. The seeds of that evil are in your heart. You say, I could never commit adultery. Maybe that's something my husband might struggle with, but I could never. No, you could. The seeds of that evil are in your heart. Why? You say, Pastor, how do you know? 
Because here's what scripture says in Jeremiah chapter 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Friends, you cannot know the things that you are capable of. You cannot know the moral evil that you could fall into yet in your lifetime. And therefore, take heed. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, he that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. You think you're above adultery? You think you're above evil, um, this morally bankrupt kind of behavior? Beware. Beware. The seeds of that evil are within you. They're not something that's going to get splattered on you from outside. You know, friends, what I just took and what just hit me this week as I was thinking and reflecting on this was the need for humility for every single one of us. To have the humility to look at my heart in the catalog of what Jesus gave to me and said, Jesus, every single one of those things are in my heart. Every single one of those things, I contain the seeds of that kind of evil. And how depraved we can sink when we give in to that moral evil. Proverbs 20 says, Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. And the answer of any Christian, humble Christian, is to say, I can't. I can't. I know my heart. In fact, I don't know my heart. I just know how bad it's capable of being. Would you embrace that today? Would you say, that's me, Pastor? Jesus called it. He saw my heart. And that's the catalog of evil that dwells in me. Do you know that means that there's finally just a, a, a correction for us? There's just, what do we do? I just love what, 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 um, what David says in Psalm 51. You talk about a man after God's own heart. A man who utterly loved God and produced the psalms, these songs of worship to him, that man had in his heart the seeds of murder and adultery. Are you better? Do you know what David said after he was caught in that sin and he was repenting? He said, create in me a clean heart, O God. And if we're going to humble ourselves before Jesus to say, it's not what's getting splattered on me that's the problem, God. It's me. Do you know what we'll say? There's an old children's song. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Do you know that one? Are you standing in the need of prayer today? Create in me a clean heart. Friends, this is what the gospel's all about. Why did Jesus come to earth to live a perfect, sinless life with no foul spring coming out of his heart of impurity? He did that so his death for you would be a perfect, sinless sacrifice. He came to take the, the decay and the wickedness of your heart and give you a new one. We see it in Ezekiel, we see it in Jeremiah, God prophesying to his people, I'm going to take your old heart out and I'm going to give you a new one. I'm going to put my spirit in you and I'm going to clean you up. 
I love in Acts chapter 15 when, when, when they're describing how God saved the Gentile people. And in Acts chapter 15 and verse 9, do you know what the testimony of the apostles is? God has purified their hearts by faith. When you got saved, do you know what happened? God cleaned up your heart. He gave you a new heart by the Holy Spirit. And he says, you don't need to be you don't need to be marked by that defilement in your life. You know, if I could just give you a picture here, I want you to think of the nastiest pond you've ever seen in a Minnesota summer. I mean, algae bloom, green over the whole top of it, a muddy bottom. You wouldn't think of stepping even your big toe into that pond, much less drinking from it. And friends, that's the picture of our heart that Jesus just cataloged. He, he said, that's us, that's who we are. And the gospel, do you know what the gospel does? Jesus comes in by the Holy Spirit and he is going to erase all of that water. He's going to suck all of the water out and he's going to bring in the pure water of his life to fill that water hole. And he says, I've given you a new heart. I've given you a pure heart, a clean heart. I've purified it by faith. But then, but then this, friends, you still have a mud bottom that pond that got cleaned up, that the algae bloom got taken away, you've got a new heart. Do you know what the Bible still teaches you is that you've still got mud on the bottom of that. It settled down. You've got clean water. But down deep, that heart is still there. That sin, that evil is still there. And what does that mean for us? What does that mean? If you've been cleaned up by Jesus Christ today, if you haven't, it's time to embrace him and say, I need a clean heart, God. I need the forgiveness of sins that only Jesus can offer. Don't leave here today unless your heart is clean. But then secondly, what it means is this. That evil that Jesus cataloged here, it's down at the bottom. It's on the mud floor. And it means this. Guard your heart. Proverbs 4, as one of the wisest in instructions that has ever been given, it says, guard, keep your heart, literally guard. Guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life, the springs of your life. You know what happens when you go into a body of water here in Minnesota in the summer, and you start walking around in the sand? What happens to the water? The mud gets dredged up, the, the, the sand gets dredged up, and that clear water is now suddenly all brown and disgusting, and you don't even want to think about drinking it. And in the same way, your heart has been cleansed by faith if you're in Jesus Christ, and now God says, guard it. Don't dredge up the bottom. Don't dive into the kind of evil thinking from which these springs of your life will flow out with corruption. You see, one of the greatest deceptions that people take from this passage is that they say, well, if it's not what comes into me that defiles me, then I'm free. I'm free to watch what I want. Oh yeah, there may be a bunch of nudity and sexual themes. There may be awful humor. There may be foul language. There may be all kinds of worldly philosophies that are going wrong. But that won't defile me, Jesus says. It's only what comes out. Friends, in a sense that's true, but in the greater sense it's this. Why would you dredge up the mud in your heart by letting that in? You know, what we watch in entertainment doesn't go down into our human digestive system. Where does it go? It goes into our heart defilement system. It affects our heart. It affects the way we think. 
And so when we are bringing in to our eyes or bringing in to our ears and the music we're listening to or the other things, the, the people that we are congregating with, we are affecting our thoughts. We're affecting our hearts. We're just like we're at the bottom of that clean pond dredging up the mud and dredging up the mire and seeing it come up and affect the springs of our life. No, friends, it's not the enemy that's without that ultimately is going to be defiling. It's the enemy within. But since I know the enemy within, since I know what my heart is capable of, I'm going to say, that's not helping. I'm cutting that out. I'm not going to follow after that because that's affecting my heart and ultimately the way that I think. Friends, every single one of us has a Trojan horse Every single one of us has a Trojan heart on the inside of our walls. And every single one of us, the question of human defilement is not first and foremost what is outside the gates. It's what's inside. And so I say to you, on the counsel of Holy Scripture this morning, guard your heart. For out of it are the springs, the fountains, your life.